Welcome to Walker Retail Ranger. My name is Walker, a.k.a. The Retail Ranger. It is my job to keep you free from food safety danger. The other is to make sure that stuff gets on the shelf. It's harder than it looks. I can't do it by myself. Now it's time for... Walker Retail Ranger. another uh, Bill McClintock mashup, uh, Land Down Wonder, from uh, Men at Works, Land Down Under, and Metallica's One, which is crazy because that uh, Men at Work song, so you hear it in the grocery store. Right. It's one of those cheesy kind of fun songs, and then One is such a deep, dark song, especially the video, but that was pretty good. Anyways, uh, welcome to episode 68 of the Retail Ranger Podcast. Today is Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. How are you today, Liz? Great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking, and thanks for asking what day it is, really. It is uh, International Fact-Checking Day. All right. Did you fact-check that? Nope. All right. You just have to trust me on that one. (laughs) Uh, It is World Autism Awareness Day, which I saw a car here in Powhatan, um, had autism awareness, like in really colorful letters across the back of the windshield. Oh, it! I was aware of it. Yeah, it helped bring awareness to it. Uh, it's also Education and Sharing Day, which I know next week you're going to be having some education. Yes, I am. You're going abroad, <laughs> up to the Great White North. Well, not Canada or abroad. Uh, you're going up to New York for a few days, so it'll be good to have some reporting back next yes, week. Yes. Um, it is also International Children's Book Day. All right, I think we're beyond that. Uh, Geologists Day, and I did a little bit of that today. Yeah, you did. I went out and scraped rocks from our (laughs) our backyard, and I made a terrarium. I saw a video the other day on the interwebs, and I said, dang it, I've got a little 10-gallon aquarium under the house. It's doing nothing. I'm going to create life. (laughs) Well, you just transplanted it. Yeah, I just moved life into the house. Actually, I took stuff from outside and brought it inside. (laughs) Yeah. It's I'm cute. so brave. It's very cute. Well, I put my little uh, Matchbox Ford Excursion in there, yeah, so it noticed. looks like he's four-wheeling. Uh, there's some moss in there, and uh, I think it's the plantain that we talked about, the kind of weed that grows in the yard. It's medicinal, so I'll always have a little leaf of medicine up here if I need <laughs> yeah. it. It's National Peanut Butter and Jelly Day. Okay. When's the last time you had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? It's been a while. Just a straight-up peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, no, it's been a long it's time. Been a long... I've had peanut butter and jelly crackers. But... Yeah, it's not the same. Nope. Um, here's one that's kind of cool. It is National Love Your Produce Manager Day. Okay. So I started thinking earlier about some of the produce managers of my life. And I've talked about Barry English before. He was the one that inspired me to get into this heck that they call retail. Uh, he was the one with the Corvette, the aviator glasses, and he'd 
chill out at lunch, taking a nap in his car, and I aspired to be him. There was another one named Wayne Rollins. He was a crazy dude. Um, but what I loved about him, I mean, he was crazy in a great way. Um, he used to sing when he was out there on the sales floor. And I always thought that dude has just got it together. Turns out he really didn't. Aww. I think he had a lot of stuff going on outside, but that's how he kind of worked was his happy place. Okay. Well, that's um, good. Yeah, he was a really, really cool dude. Um, really, really a straight shooter. That's where I kind of learned my ability to provide open, honest feedback in a, a efficient manner, we'll call it. <laughs> uh, Wayne was quite the dude. Um, and I've had a lot of produce managers work for me in the past, and obviously I can't single any of them out because they might be listening. <laughs> but I know the ones that inspired me were, were pretty fantastic folks. So. Fred. Yeah, I know. See? See, now <laughs> we're starting to... We can't go down that road. Um so anyways, I do want to give a special shout out to a special person that you and I both knew, or know, we didn't knew him, we know him. His name's Mark Adkins. Yes. He had a 35-year-long uh, career with the company we worked for, and um, just a really all-around great guy. I mean, great personality, probably one of the most caring individuals that I've ever dealt with. Yes. He truly cared. Absolutely. Um very knowledgeable, just a, a really sweet dude, and he actually got to retire. Um, we had a little shindig for him Thursday, I think it was. His last day with the company was Friday. So he's he's relaxing, and he swears he's going to catch up on the podcast. <laughs> so, Mr. Adkins, if you're listening, this one's for you, baby. <laughs> All right. Um, I also want to point out, uh, got some downloads from some other places, Liz. Ah. Cuba. No. Cuba is on the map. Wow. As is New Zealand. I guess they heard Australia was in the mix. Okay. They wanted a piece of the action. <laughs> I believe New Zealand's the farthest away, maybe. But I don't know. I, I was pretty astounded to see that. So uh, we're closing in on 5,000 downloads. That's awesome. All around the world. I'm waiting for Antarctica. I don't know if there's a signal <laughs> up there, but that would be amazing. Uh, and we're also, I also noticed, uh, I think it's Vancouver, British Columbia. There's a lot of downloads up in that area, huh. like the Pacific Northwest of North America. Wow. Yep. So thank you all for listening. Thank everybody for listening, honestly, but it's just really cool seeing the growth. So so that was really cool. Um, we had our little breakfast buffet today, and uh, you made something special. What you got cooking there, Liz? Or what did you cook, Liz? Well, I've made a breakfast casserole. It's called Farmer's Casserole. Okay. On um, food.com. All right. I kind of, you know, added a couple other things as I normally do, mm-hmm. but it's just um, shredded frozen hash browns, and I used the whole bag. They were calling for like three cups or whatever. Then it's Monterey Jack cheese, diced ham versus the sausage because sausage gets kind of. Yeah, I thought the ham added a lot of texture yeah. to it, and and a little salt. And green onion, um, eggs, evaporated milk. I threw some green and red pepper in there bell pepper that was a very nice touch actually yeah had a lot of flavor and then salt and pepper and you you bake it um at 350 um until it's you know it's set uncovered i mean it basically looks like eggs when eggs are cooked right is that how you know it's yeah it's solid kind of then you just throw some cheese on top and let it melt Mm, it's good it's kind of like the copycat potato casserole recipe that cracker barrel makes okay that is my favorite. And instead of eggs, you use creamy chicken soup and sour cream, and there's no meat, but it's a lot more cheese in it too. Um, that recipe is on Spend with Pennies. Spend with Pennies. Yeah. Okay. But that one is that's my fave. Didn't you have an observation about the pricing of the uh, 
hash browns. Oh my goodness. They're almost $6 a bag. For the brand name? Yeah, then for the go, brand name. You so, want the store brand? Of course, I, I go for the store brand. Yeah, especially, I mean, something like that that's in a casserole. I mean, it's not the star of the dish. Right. And I think, I don't, I could be wrong, but the um, copycat um, casserole with Cracker Barrel, uh-huh. I was thinking it wasn't the shredded hash browns. I was thinking it was the diced. You think it was? I believe it was, but I think it would be good either way. Well, Seriously. I like to shred it up. I'm a big fan of shredding, uh, okay. honestly. I'll keep that in mind. Please do. <laughs> what else you got going? That's it. That's it. That is it. Well, you'll come back with some cuisine from New York over yeah. here. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm going up there um, with a drama class from a middle school with my sister. You're going to be a chaperone. I'm going to be a chaperone. So... That's going to be fun. I'll be on my P's and Q's. Yeah, I'm going to be on my Q's and P's figuring out what I'm going to be cooking. Blue box macaroni every night. I Maybe I should try that blue box ice cream. <laughs> Ooh, no. Gross. So, hey, I got some uh, retail roundup for you here, Liz. All right. This one's kind of wild because it's bad, but it also, you figure out why it's bad in part of the article. So this is, uh, uh, Bill Wilson wrote this March 30th in the Supermarket News. It's an article called, uh, Is Dollar General Ready to Address Worker Safety? pretty big deal yeah so uh, the name of the program should feel like a version of death row for a retailer the severe violator enforce enforcement program that's what it's called severe violator enforcement program the labor department and the occupational safety and health administration or as we know osha uh, has been operating it for years but just recently the program has extended out to include any type of company that willfully or repeatedly violated safety standards Hmm. So it sounds like these are for the uh, the the violent offenders, like like the frequent offenders. Uh, Dollar, Gen- Dollar General stands out on this death row, but unfortunately, fines delivered by OSHA are not killer. Dollar General's profits have skyrocketed since the beginning of the pandemic as stores continue to open. OSHA, however, <laughs> this is hilarious, can only charge a company up to $15,600 a day for a maximum of 30 days while it fails to deal with unsafe conditions. Over 270 Dollar General stores have been scoped over the last six years, amounting to 111 safety violations for a fine total of $15.5 million. Oh, my God. So they've paid $15.5 million in fines over the last six years, Dollar General has. Uh, after resisting any meeting with OSHA, Dollar General has now come to the table for settlement discussions that include ways to improve working conditions. So the biggest problem at Dollar General's appear to center around the lack of staffing. Well, that's everywhere. I know. That's what I'm saying. We we all got staffing issues, but I don't mean we put safety on the back burner here. Uh, When deliveries come in, there are simply not enough workers to take care of the product, which ends up being stacked in the aisles. OSHA has also found clutter blocking emergency exits and inventory stacked too high on the show floor. Uh, Dollar General also is one of the lowest in terms of staff compensation, and has done little to prevent crime at the stores. I'm thinking Bill Wilson's not a fan of Dollar General. <laughs> but I, mean, I guess the point of that article is, you know, there's a cost. Obviously, there's a human cost. I mean, when somebody gets hurt, that's a bad deal. It shouldn't just be a financial right. impact. It's actually, you know, emotional. I mean, that's somebody's, you know, they're providing the money for their family and all that. So it's important to be safe at work, not just for to get OSHA off your back and avoid being on that extreme program. Right. But I don't know, I mean, the reality is if they're not, if they're not staffed, they got to come up with some other, some other plan. 
I don't know what that plan is, but letting stuff stack up in front of emergency exits ain't the plan. Yeah. It's coming. Maybe they'll get it first. <laughs> yeah. Well, if they wouldn't spend the money on the fines, they could actually buy robots. So I don't know if we talked about Disney um, with their layoffs at all, but uh, they're going to begin laying off folks this week, according to CEO Bob Iger. Uh, he sent out a memo. This is an article. Memo. This is an article by Alex Sherman from C- CBNC. Is that right? CNBC. Anyways, some dude named uh, Alex Sherman came up with this article, March twenty seventh. Says Disney will begin informing employees this week that they're being laid off. It's going to be the first of three rounds of cuts that will amount to seven thousand job losses. Gosh. Uh, they're cutting costs after its valuation plummeted last year. So uh, the m- chief executive, Bob Iger, sent out a, a memo to his folks. Um, the cuts are part of a broader effort to reduce corporate spending and boost free cash flow. Uh, they said last month they plan to cut $5.5 billion in costs, and that includes $3 billion in content spend. Content spend, I believe that's their like streaming services like Hulu and uh, Disney Plus and stuff okay. like that. Um, so this is a, a quote. This week we begin notif- we began notifying employees whose positions are impacted by the company's workforce reductions. Um, by C- yeah, it was obtained by CNBC. I guess I spelt it wrong up at the top there. Uh, <laughs> leaders will be communicating the news directly to the first group of impacted employees over the next four days. A second larger round of notifications are happening in April with several thousand more staff reductions. And this is the scary part. We expect to commence the final round of notifications before the beginning of the summer to reach our 7,000 job Oh, target. my goodness. When would you suppose Disney's peak time is? Just, I'm assuming. <laughs> that would be summer. So they're, they're trying to cut the fat before the summer. So I guess Oof. they can increase their profitability going into the second half. Uh, these layoffs were initially announced in February, and they're going to be cross-company, not just Disney. Um, it's going to hit their media and distribution division, their parks, resorts, ESPN, and then I saw ABC, which is also owned by uh, Disney. They're getting rid of a lot of their C-suite folks, which are executives like VPs mm. and, and all these officers. They're, they're doing a lot of uh, condensing, we'll call it. <laughs> uh, Disney is following the lead of Warner Brothers Discovery and other legacy media companies that are cutting jobs and spending. Wish our government would cut the spending. Uh, Disney has said its streaming business, led by Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus, will stop losing money in 2024. So apparently all those streaming services are costing them money. They're not making money on those. Which you would think. I know. I mean, if somebody's paying a subscription for that, unless their subscriptions are down. Uh, Disney shares are up about 8% this year after falling 44% last year. Oof. Hence the layoffs, everybody. So, along the lines of consumer spending, uh, we've talked about that, how, you know, we're cutting, you're cutting back on some of the grocery shopping, right? Right. So, this is by Chloe Riley, March 30th, 23, out of Supermarket News. There is a hair on my microphone. All right, there we go. Don't worry, it was mine. Looks like a cat hair. Great. Uh, (laughs) Here's what grocery items consumers plan to spend money on this year. Right now, a family of four on a tight food budget is potentially spending close to $1,000 per month on groceries, according to the USDA. And that doesn't buy as much as it used to either. Well, it says this year a family of four is spending close to $1,000, um, according to their official USDA thrifty food plan for February 2023. So this is taking junk food out of the equation. Like if you're buying just good food, it's going to cost you a grand. For a month? 
for four people. Okay. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> well, it says two years ago, a family of four on the same budget spent about $300 less. They were about 600 oh, okay. and something. That makes sense. Um, and even last year, it was $887 per month for four people. So it's, it's, it's going up. Uh, according to the USDA, the food at home index rose 0.3% over the month of February, including five of the six major grocery store food group indexes. We talked about that. I think some of the meat was going down, but everything else was going yeah. up. Uh, so with that consideration, here are the grocery products consumers are spending the most money on this year. Uh, I don't think it's in any particular order. Non-alcoholic beverages, which I think we've covered before, yeah. um, increased 1% in February. Over the past year, it's up 12.3. Mm. That's that's just, and that's like carbonate soft drinks, water, fruit juice, coffee, tea, stuff like that. Uh, cereals and bakery, overall, or over the year, the index has risen 14.2%. We've been talking about grains and all that right, right. grain in the Ukraine. We joked about that a year ago. Uh, fruits and vegetables, only up 5.3%. Dairy, up 12.3% over the year. Oh, and then it has a little special section about eggs. Although the index for eggs increased 55% over the year, it decreased 6.7% over the month of February. And they are projecting that price to continue to drop. Okay, good. Um, they said, of course, the... High egg prices resulted from outbreaks of the avian flu, which killed in excess of 58 million backyard and commercial poultry species since 2022. The agency said that egg prices will fall nearly 30% during 2023, as long as there's no additional avian, mm. avian flu outbreaks. So there's that little caveat there. You know, we're saying it's going to go down, but... So I think we had talked a little bit about shrinkflation last week, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, here, here's kind of a into it from progressive grocer uh, senior editor lynn petrick march 31st exclusive <laughs> consumers wary of shrinkflation i don't think that's an exclusive we are wary <laughs> i think she's the one that came up with that i know uh, as it turns out not only do consumers notice that product sizes and portions are often getting smaller for the same cost many are looking at competitive products for greater value uh yougov it's a global public opinion and data firm shared with Progressive Grocer that shrinkflation is hardly receding as an issue or as an influencing factor at the point of sale. So it's getting worse and people are starting to notice it more, shrinkflation. Uh, according to their poll, three quarters of consumers in the U.S. are concerned about shrinkflation. Uh, most, 41%, are very concerned and a third are fairly concerned, but only 3% said they're not at all concerned. I mean, if you, you're not concerned at all, you obviously don't care about the price of anything because you've got money. True. Uh, have you seen the snack cakes? W- weren't you saying something about snack cakes the other day? Yes. They've gotten so small. I mean, we don't really buy them that often at all, but they're like the size, like the little oatmeal pies. Right. They're like the size of a silver dollar They now. should be called bite size now instead <laughs> right. of snack size. Yes. That's ridiculous. Um as shoppers are increasingly keen on how products literally stack up against price and expectations, they discern some differences in affected product types. Uh, 52% of consumers are noticing shrinkflation in snack products like chips and candies, followed by cereals, flowers, and pastas and cleaning products. While shoppers are also seeing some smaller portions per package for items like bread, bakery products, Beauty care items, which obviously I use a lot of, and ready-to-cook offerings. Fewer are seeing related trends in fresh produce and pet food. So it's mostly, well, there's a little chart here. Um, 
So 52% of folks say snack foods. 46% are noticing dry goods like cereal, flour, and sugar being like big with the shrinkflation. Yeah. Paper goods. I mean, how many less toilet paper sheets do you get now? And we were talking about paper yeah, towels. About, yeah. Holy smokes. They, have, they are just expensive. It, you got to take a loan out. Are we going to start rinsing and repeating? And like, I remember <laughs> we, I heard stories about people washing paper towels and hanging them. Maybe that was a joke. It's going to become oh, reality. I believe it. Uh, 34% cleaning products, 33% frozen foods. How easy is it to high shrinkflation and frozen food too? That's true. I mean, you, you really don't see, well, most of the stuff, you can't see it inside the package anyway. Yeah, but when you pick it up, you can feel the difference. That's true, by the weight. But yeah, that's quite a big deal. So, you know I like to dabble in politics, right? Oi. I'm not going to. Okay. I'm just stating that that's a hobby kind of thing. You know, and I also like cheese. (laughs) So when I get the opportunity to talk about politics and cheese. Win-win. It's a win-win. All right, you ready? Sit back and relax, sweetie. We got a good one. (laughs) Senate measure would give natural cheese a definition. And while I'm reading this, I want everybody to keep in mind the chaos that the United States is in right now. All the crazy crap going on, and we're going to talk about this. You ready? Okay. The CURD Act, C-U-R-D Act, (laughs) is aimed at providing more transparency to consumers involving packaged cheese. Uh, This is by Bill Wilson, March 28th. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson wants to put some words alongside, quote, natural cheese, end quote. He wants to put words alongside that. Apparently, natural cheese is without an official definition on food packaging, and Johnson has reintroduced the CURDAC, okay? Codifying Useful Regulatory Definitions Act, C-U-R-D, CURD. Oh, give me See a break. See what he did there? Uh, to get more clarity on the product and to allow consumers to make better choices. The CURD Act would define natural cheese as cheese that is produced from animal milk or other dairy ingredients and is produced in accordance with established cheese-making practices. Liz, we're going to wake up tomorrow, and the world's going to be in a better place. Uh, Wisconsin is known for its cheese and all its forms and varieties, Johnson said. Uh, codifying the definition of, quote, natural cheese, end quote, will allow consumers the necessary information to make informed decisions when purchasing and enjoying the great products of our state. <sighs> so brave. Uh <laughs> Wisconsin Cheesemaker Association Executive Director John Umhofer added that the dairy processing industry has used the term natural cheese for decades to help differentiate cheese made with fresh milk and dairy ingredients from pasteurized processed cheese. The cheese wars have begun. <laughs> what don't they already say that? Like on the well, this is gonna, it's going to be law now. I think oh, they were doing okay. it just to be nice. Right. The Curd Act, Liz. The Curd Act. <laughs> it gets better. You got the Curd Act, right? Okay. There's another one coming. Uh, Senator Baldwin recently led the introduction of bipartisan legislation. This is what they get along on. Cheese. Republicans and Democrats. They join forces <laughs> for cheese. Uh, they. Bipartisan legislation to combat the unfair practice of mislabeling non-dairy products using dairy names. Okay, get this. I got to not laugh. The Defending Against Imitations and Replacements of Yogurt, Milk, and Cheese to Promote Regular Intake of Dairy Every Day Act. Okay, that's called the Dairy Pride Act. Oh, 
Come on. Nope. Defending against imitations and replacements of yogurt is dairy. And to promote regular intake of dairy every day is pride. So the Dairy Pride Act of 2023. It followed the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's proposed guidance allowing nut, oat, soy, and other non-dairy products to use the name milk. Here's the kicker. <laughs> Senator Ron Johnson introduced... Uh, wrote this bill two years ago, the Curd Act. Um, and despite it being backed by 29 co-sponsors, it never reached the House floor for a vote. So they they got the Dairy Pride Act thing going, but they can't do the Curd Act. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> that, uh, I mean, I get having, weird. like, if it's real cheese, you need to know if it's real cheese. Because some folks are dairy or lactose tolerant, intolerant, whatever, right, right. allergies and all that stuff. I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. Apparently it is. All right, now this one, you don't have socks on. Good, because this would blow your socks off. You ready? I think so. <laughs> this massive meatball was made with woolly mammoth DNA. So you know how I don't like fake meat. Right. They're bringing back dinosaur meat. Well, not that a mammoth's a dinosaur, but like Jurassic meat here. Uh, it's meant to be more sustainable than animal meat. This lab-grown alternative might offer a glimpse into the future of food production. This is by Alex Chun, staff contributor to the Smithsonian Magazine, March 30th, 2023. I'm going to read this because I can't, I can't just give you a synopsis of this. This is crazy. In a sense, the extinct woolly mammoth has returned as a meatball. On Tuesday, an Australian cultured meat startup revealed a sphere of lab-grown meat produced with a DNA sequence from the elephant-like animal. Oh, but you won't find this product in grocery stores. The creation is not meant to be eaten, at least for now. Instead, the mammoth meatball aims to highlight the environmental impacts of standard agricultural practices and present cultured meat as a viable option for food production down the line. The world has gone mad. Dude, this is crazy. Uh, Tim Noaksmith, this is his quote. We wanted to get people excited about the future of food being different to potentially what we had before. You think? You ever had mammoth meatballs? No, nothing close. <laughs> no. Uh, we thought the mammoth would be a conversation starter. What we wanted to do was see if we could create something that was a symbol of a more exciting future that's not only better for us, but also better for the planet. I cannot sit here and think. We've all seen Jurassic Park. Right. You don't mess with the DNA. Something happens. That chaos theory. Mm-hmm. Um, today, agriculture uses billions of acres of land and the greenhouse gases released from food production make up about 30% of global emissions. I thought it was cars. Anyways, uh, cultured meat or grown meat from animal cells, which is, sounds even worse, uh, requires less space and less water than raising livestock does. Because it's created in a lab, cultured meat may also be designed to meet taste and nutritional preferences, according to a statement from them. A technology manager at the nonprofit Good Food Institute, the GFI, <laughs> which promotes alternatives to animal products, tells the Guardian's Damien Carrington that she hopes the mammoth meatball will open up new conversations about cultivated meat's extraordinary potential to produce more sustainable food. That's not good. <laughs> that is so bizarre. Now we're going to get into the science of this. The spherical creation is between the size of a softball. And a volleyball. What? 
It was made by using the DNA sequence for mammoth myoglobin, a protein that gives meat its color and flavor, as well as genetic data from African elephants. Then scientists inserted the sequence into cells from a sheep and coaxed them to multiply into 20 billion cells that made up the final meatball. Dude, this is seriously a horror movie in the making. It, it doesn't even sound like it's, it's real. It's I more mean, elephant than anything, and it's got sheep in it. Uh, they unveiled its version of mammoth meat at Nemo, which is a science museum in the Netherlands. As the startup slow-baked the meatball, then blow-torched its outside, what? audience members said the product smelled good, comparing the scent to that of crocodile meat per the AP. Oh, gosh. And then it says, though this might make the mammoth meat seem appetizing. It's not. It doesn't sound appetizing. You're blowtorching a giant meatball of elephant sheep, and it smells like crocodile meat. Aren't crocodiles kind of dinosaurian, dinosaurian like? Yes. All right, so we're going to have real world Jurassic Park here shortly. I mean, seriously, uh, we're talking about a protein that hasn't existed for five thousand years. Uh, I've got no idea what the potential allergenicity might be of this particular protein," said James Ryall, the chief scientific officer. Uh, they are optimistic about the future of cell-based alternatives to meat products. Uh, currently, cultured meat is only available in Singapore, but companies like Upside Foods and Good Meat have earned clearance for their lab-grown products from the United States Food and Drug Administration. What scares me even more is what else are they putting in there? Uh, yeah, well, in Jurassic Park, remember, they didn't have all the DNA. They took it from like a mosquito that had bitten a dinosaur, mm -hmm. so it had some of it, so they mixed it with a frog, I think is what they did. And then later, in one of the other Jurassic Park movies, they took DNA from different dinosaurs and made that super scary yes, one. Yes, yes. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We don't have enough crap going on. Let's Something that doesn't exist, let's put it into existence. That's crazy. Plus, it's the size of a freaking volleyball. How would you put that on a plate? Maybe that's what Bill Gates is buying all that oh, farmland for. Oh, he's going to raise mammoths. He's going to have his own Jurassic Park. Holy crap. That's just, oh, that is not good, Jim. <laughs> so in the uh, management shenanigans episode, which I didn't have one last week, um, I did find something today. March 23rd from CBS San Francisco uh, in Hayward, California. California Highway Patrol investigators have arrested a Hayward Home Depot worker suspected of stealing merchandise from the store as part of an organized retail theft scheme, the CHP announced Thursday. That's Chips. Remember Chips? Oh, yeah. California Highway Patrol is <laughs> Ponch and John. Anyways, uh, the CHP Golden Gate Division said in a Facebook post that its organized retail crime task force, what does that stand for? O-R-C, oh, it's not as cool as curd, <laughs> uh, was contacted by the store's loss prevention investigators on March 1st about several thefts committed by a store employee while working after hours. The store investigators also provided the CHP task force with the surveillance video of the employee and the vehicle used in several of the incidents. You ready for this? Home Depot estimated the loss from the stolen merchandise in excess of $300,000. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah. On Tuesday, they arrested the unidentified employee. Well, I think he's identified. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to us, at the Home Depot on Hesperian, Hesperian Boulevard. Other CHP units served a search warrant at a, the employee's home in Patterson where some 600 stolen items were recovered with an estimated value of $80,000. 
Investigators also seized nearly $90,000 in cash, believed to be proceeds from the sale of the stolen goods. Ugh. This guy was his own Home Depot. What, did he have a garage, a giant garage? He must he have. Well, I saw a picture in the article showed like quantities of like power tools. Uh, he was booked in the Alameda County Jail on charges of organized retail crime, grand theft, possession of stolen property, and conspiracy. How did it take him that long to figure out he was doing that? Well, I don't know. Maybe they waited until... Well, no, I guess they <laughs> they went past the uh, felony amount. I mean, if you got $300,000 worth of merchandise, I think like 299000 ago you, you went into felony status. That's crazy. So, yeah, there's, there's people out there doing stupid things and making mammoth meat and regulating cheese that's what we're doing <laughs> folks so i think i'm gonna end on that note uh we're not having mammoth for dinner tonight right uh uh-oh great <laughs> no, i'm just kidding did you swing by singapore and get some cultivated <laughs> meat that just so sounds so gross cultivated lab meat Ugh. i just no i'm not doing it all right folks thank you for uh, your continued support and we will catch everybody on the flip side peace peace
Thank you for listening to us and letting us be ourselves. We appreciate what you do to get stuff on the shelves. Stay safe out there. Do what you can to avoid any danger. Have fun, work hard, and be a retail ranger. You've been listening to Walker Retail Ranger.